0: Thank you. Um, thanks again for joining us today. We are um, in the kind of uh, the tail end of, of a spiritual detox program that we're uh, incorporating into the beginning part of, of, of this new year here. Uh, I've been talking for the last three weeks um, as after or two weeks after the introduction of, of this uh, idea about um, just getting deeper into each of the, the three areas of our detox, things that we need to surrender, things that we need to incorporate in and the people with whom we want to do this together with. If you look at the insert of your bulletin, this is um, what we will give out again next week. And we want to give this to you today so that you could take a look at it and so that you could see and and think about it and pray about it. Uh, Next week, we're calling it a a Detox Commitment Sunday as Pastor Albert comes, and he's going to share the Word of God, and he's going to call our congregation into a place of surrender, into a place of committing our hearts over the next six weeks during Lent to think about how um, and what practically this looks like for us to detox together. And so as you look at this, um, again, this will be not only on our website, but this will be in your bulletin again next week. And we're just going to ask there will be time during worship service next week to fill out both sides of it. You'll keep the left side and you'll uh, turn in the right side in your offering, in the offering plate as a way of uh, making this tangible, as a way of making this practical, as a way for me to get these. And as soon as I come back from my trip from Seattle, um, we'll get these and we'll begin praying for all of um, those of us who have made commitments and uh, made resolutions in order that we might uh, walk a little bit more closely with Christ over the next uh, six weeks during Lent and leading up to Good Friday and into Easter Sunday. So um, that will be there for you. The last, um, you know, we've, we've talked about how um, the only way that we can have lasting change in our lives is through the Word of God, right? Isaiah 55, and God's Word always accomplishes its purposes, but apart from the Word of God, no lasting change is possible. Then last week, we talked about uh, the nature of indwelling sin within our hearts. And there are sins that, um, if we continue to repeat them, they will harden our hearts so that we no longer uh, are sensitive to the work of God in our lives and no longer sensitive to the voice of God in our lives. Today, I, I want to talk about what uh, the book of Hebrews says is the number one antidote for a hardened heart, the number one prescription to guard us from having a heart that is hardened. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 3. This is a part of the passage we read from last week, but I I want to kind of uh, focus in on it here today um, and to call us to a place of really seeing this is something vitally important for us that we need to get and we need to understand not only for six weeks but for our lifetime if we want to do um, life in a way, in a manner that honors Christ and sees us continually growing in the Spirit. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 3. Verses 12 through 15. This is God's word. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. This is God's word. So, we talked last week again about the process in which our hearts become hardened. The more we sin, the more we engage in sin. The more sin is unchecked, our hearts become hardened and become glossed over. Instead of becoming like a soft sponge that can receive and that soaks things up, it becomes hardened like a rock so that everything bounces off of it. No one likes a hard heart. Nobody likes coming to worship service and singing songs and, and songs that used to move our hearts and used to kind of stir emotion within us. Nobody likes to sing those same songs that used to move us and then realize that it's just kind of falling right in front of our feet, never really reaching our hearts. But I have this thing where other people are singing and other people are being moved and, and there's nothing going on inside of your heart. Don't, don't like that feeling where um, we sit and, and we listen to the Word of God that used to move and stir our hearts and convict us and to, to, to push us to change. We don't like sitting here and, and then hearing the Word of God and, and just feeling like, okay, nothing is, is making sense to me. Nothing is hitting my heart. Yeah, you know, there might be some, some fun stories and things like that, but but nothing really of challenge to me. Nobody likes having a heart that is hardened. And that's what Hebrews chapter three is talking about. And he's saying, if you don't want a hardened heart, then here is the best thing that you can do. The number one thing that you can do in order to prevent a hardened heart, in order to work a hardened heart back to a place of softness so that you can receive the word of God, the blessing of God, the inspiration of God in your heart, the number one thing that you can do is to get into deep, life-changing relationships with other people who see you and who speak into your heart. That's it. He's saying we need other people in our lives in order to prevent the hardening of our hearts. Why do we need that? There's three, th- three ways that I want to point out, three reasons why we are so desperately in need of other people in our lives. The first thing is this, and we're going to find all of these in, in verse 13, uh, 12 and 13, but the first reason we need other people is this, we need others to help us to see the truth about ourselves. We need others to help us to see the truth about ourselves. Let me unpack this a little bit. Uh, verse 13, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We talked a little bit about this last week, but the nature of sin is to deceive. Okay? Sin is always deceptive. I don't know. Um, I can't remember the last time I played Mafia. I feel like whenever I talk about deception, I talk about Mafia because it's fun. But I think probably the last time I played was a year and a half ago at our adult retreat uh, when we were playing at, at the Shingle Creek um, it, mafia is basically it's a game where you are invited into this psychological thriller this drama this movie and you are a detective and you're trying to solve this mystery unless you're the mafia but basically we're, you're sitting around in a circle and you're all part of a town you're part of a village that has been infiltrated by mafia okay? bad people do you know that singular for mafia is mafiosi did you know that wikipedia okay so you, this this town okay so we're all townspeople has been invaded by the mafia the challenge is you don't know who the mafia is and who an innocent, normal civilian is. But you don't want the mafia to start killing off all of your friends and family members, so you've got to find out who the mafia is and you got to start killing them. But sometimes you make a mistake and you kill off the town baker, you kill off you know, the town teacher, whatever it is. No one knows the difference between an innocent civilian and a mafia except for the cop. And so the police, if they're good, in time, and they don't get killed, in time the police... Begins to find out and begins to discern who the mafia is and who the innocent civilians are. And the role of the cop is to somehow convince the civilians that this is the mafia and we need to get rid of the mafia. So you're playing this game and say you're, you're an innocent person, you're a town person, you're a civilian. And the whole game you're playing and there's one person that you know in your heart of hearts, they absolutely cannot be the mafia. Why? Because they're your best friend. They're your spouse. Right? They're your boyfriend or girlfriend, and they looked you in the eyes, and they swore, I'm not the mafia. Because if I was, you'd be able to tell. Right? You know me. We live together. If I was a mafia, you'd be able to tell. If I was lying, you'd be able to tell. I'm not the mafia. So you're certain in your mind, okay, you know what? Don't accuse you know, him or her because they're not the mafia. I know. And every, the cop is like, dude, that's the mafia. She's the mafia. He's the mafia. You're like, yeah, they're not. That's, I live with them. Trust me. That's not the mafia. And the worst feeling is you get to the end of the game, And they say, game's over. You raise your hand in triumph only to realize that you've been deceived. You're like, what the nasty you? (laughs) You told me that you weren't. And you were completely played the entire time. You know why? Because nobody likes being deceived. Isn't that why people are so up in arms about the man Titeo story? You don't know who he is. He's a football player. And he had this dramatic story about how his girlfriend died the day of this or the week of this huge game. And he plays this game and has this amazing game only to realize that all of this was made up, not by him, but by somebody else. And so everybody is so upset. What is real and what is false now? It's why um, Lance Armstrong in the eyes of the public will never be able to be forgiven because for 10 years, he deceived everybody saying, I never did drugs. I I didn't use steroids. I didn't use performance enhancing drugs. I know everyone else in the cycling world did, but not me. And somehow I just made it to the top. I beat cancer. I was the number one bicycler, even though everyone else did steroids but me, only to find out a couple weeks ago that he did steroids. He was a ringleader of this circus that was using performance-enhancing drugs. It's why people were so upset this week when they found out that Beyonce had lip-synced the national anthem at the inauguration of our president. Because we think one thing, but we realize, you know what? We've been deceived. We've been duped. Nobody likes to be deceived. And Hebrews gives us another reason why we should hate deception. Because it is through deception of sin that our hearts get hardened. Because sin has a way of deceiving us into thinking, hey, you know what? You're not that bad. It's not that bad. We begin to justify sin. We talked about this last week. We cover up our sin. We make excuses for our sin. We name it something else. And then in time, our hearts begin to get hardened because we've been deceived by sin. So what is it that we need? We need people to help us to see the truth about ourselves in a way that we don't see. You know what I'm saying? Because we overestimate our spirituality. We overestimate our holiness. We overestimate our sense of morality. And we think we're a whole lot better than we really are. But we need others to come into our lives and to tell us, hey, 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 you know what? You're not all that. You're not above the gospel. You're not above the need for Christ, for daily need of Christ. You're not above any of these things. You need to see yourself for who you really are. And there are things that we don't see in our lives that only other people see that they need to point us to. That's why we need other people to help us see the truth about ourselves. Let me confess something to you. Um, this is okay. I thought this was a little bit edgy, but I talked to Olivia, and she said it's all right. But I've got this little problem. I don't know how many times I've walked out of my house or walked out somewhere only to realize that my zipper is down. And most of the time, it's not because I've recognized that in myself. Sometimes I have. One time, uh, Pastor Albert and I, we were up in uh, Virginia. Um, he was leading praise, and I was preaching at this retreat. Uh, Virginia Commonwealth University it was a you know, great retreat. It was the last night. Um, he had just led this, like, inspired and anointed praise. And I was, like, fired up, ready to go. And I prayed for the, uh, for the message. And then I sat down on my stool like this. And I looked at my Bible. And I looked down. And my zipper was wide open. And I was, like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so here, I've got a couple options here. One, I could slowly zip my zipper up. But then everybody would be distracted. They'd be, like, dude, that guy's got problems. I could, <laughs> I could turn around. And that would be really weird. And zip it. So I said, you know what, guys? Um, Hey, this is the last night of the retreat. This is it. And I've got a message that's gonna, that this is the word of God, and it's going to change your life. But I want to make sure that you're ready to hear it. So let's spend some time in prayer. <laughs> so as they were praying, I turned around zipped it up. But I've never, I've never <laughs> been in a, in a pre-sermon prayer that was that fiery and that passion. I learned something that day. I said, you know what? God is sovereign over even unzipped zippers. And I was praising God that day. It was a great time. There were other times. There was one time we were here for worship. We went through almost the entire worship service. I sat down there, and I crossed my legs like this, and I looked down, and I, my zipper was open. I was like, are you serious? The entire time I was up here, my zipper was down, and nobody told me. I was like in shock. This happens the most for some reason. I don't know why this happens the most when we're in Ecuador, but it happens almost every day. When we're in Ecuador, this is weird. One, two years ago, it was a small group of us that went two years ago. And like one day, it's like three times, one right after another, within a span of like four hours. We were out in, um, in a village called Cabeno. We were doing manual layer and shoveling and stuff like that. And, and one of our guys, Isaac, said, hey, Pastor Dio, you know your zipper's down? I was like, oh, shoot. And I zipped it up. And I said, oh, gosh, I hope that doesn't happen again. And later we went to eat lunch. And we're sitting there, and we're sitting on these benches. And Ryan's like, hey, uh, Pastor D.L., your zipper's down. <laughs> like, how did that happen? I don't remember going to the bathroom that many times, but it just comes down. And my zipper's not broken. Then after that, we went outside, and we're doing manual labor again. And I was just, I was talking about, dude, I don't know why my, I was standing like this. <laughs> say, I don't know why my zipper's always down. And then James was sitting there. He's like staring at me. He's like, are you serious right now? (laughs) I'm like, why? He's like, it's down again. (laughs) But I need people in my life to tell me that my zipper is down because there's certain things that I can't see about myself that only other people can see. And I can walk around boldly, proudly, confidently walking around my hands on my hip. And everybody's like, what is wrong with you? Everybody sees that except for you. Because it's easy for sin to deceive us into thinking that we're a whole lot better than we really are. And we need people to come into our lives who don't care who we are. Don't care about your title. I don't care what you do in business. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what position you have in the church. But you've got to realize that you're not as good as you think you are. We need other people in our lives to help us to see the truth about ourselves. Because if we don't, sin will deceive us into thinking, you know what? I'm pretty good. I've been coming to church for 15 years. I've memorized all the verses in Harvest 201. I know it. But we need people to say, hey, you know what? You know all of these things, but your life doesn't really show it. You know all of these things, but you're just so dang lazy that you're you're hurting your own witness for Christ. You know what? You know all of these things and you've been coming to church and you've been serving in these ways, but how's your how's your, your walk with God? That ain't people like that in my life too. I remember um, Francis Chan, after he resigned from Cornerstone, he said, you know what? No one ever asked me how uh, my prayer life is, how my time in, in the Word of God is. They just assume because I'm a pastor. And, and I'm not Francis Chan, definitely. I mean, he's like, miles ahead of any of us but i need people like that in my life who ask me hey how's your time with jesus how's your is your heart soft to the voice of god are you living in the truth of god's word To understand that i need the gospel as much as anybody else does to remind me that the gospel that i so readily preach is one that i need to preach to myself as well because there are a lot of times when I think I'm a whole lot better than I am and I need people to call me out on that and say, hey, you know what? Let's think about, let's think about this. We all need that in our lives too. The people who aren't impressed about what we've done in the past, people who aren't impressed with our track record, don't care about any of these things, but just recognize that you and I alike are in desperate need of the gospel of grace. And if we don't have people like this in our lives, then we're going to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're okay. When we think we're okay, we don't think we need to hear the Word of God. The Word of God is being preached. We think that's for somebody else, but that's not for me. We don't think we need the Word of God. We begin to judge other people instead of judging ourselves. We begin to become mean to other people. and We begin to hold ourselves up as a standard. Anyone who doesn't meet our standards, we begin to look down on them and to tell them that they need to shape up their act and to get it together and become mean. We become deceived by the nature of sin that hardens our hearts. Because we need each other in order to help us to see the truth about ourselves. This is the first reason why we need each other. It's not just about having the word. It's not just about detoxing from sin, but we need each other in our lives. The second reason why we need other people is we need other people to give us a strength that we don't have. Verse 13 says, but encourage one another daily. I think we all have this kind of vague notion of what encouragement means. We know what it looks like. Here's kind of what it looks like. The other day this week, uh, one morning before I went out to um, have some meetings and and, and come into church, um, Olive and uh, Manny and Elijah and I were out in the living room before we ate breakfast and Olive and I were sitting on the sofa and Manny and Elijah were just kind of like hanging out, playing around and and Manny said, I don't want to read the Bible today. She's got this, like, big storybook Bible. She said, I don't want to read the Bible today. And so Olive's like, okay, that's fine. And she started playing, and then uh, Olive was doing her devotion. I was doing my devotion. And after a couple minutes, Manny said, Mommy, I want to read my Bible now. And so Olive said, okay. And so she sat her down. She opened up the Bible, and she started looking at the pictures. And um, because she's read it enough times, she's telling the story. She looks at Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve disobeyed God. The snake came, and, she lo- and she's reading her little Bible there. And I think that in, in, a, in a nutshell is what we understand encouragement to be, right? As, as two people see, uh, one person sees two other people, that they move closer to God and they want to live in obedience to him and follow the path that he has for them. The question, quick question is, what is the effect of your life on the lives of other believers? Do you help them move towards Christ or do you help them to move towards uh, sin? What is the effect of your life on the lives of others in the church? He says, encourage one another daily. And if you've, if you've been around long enough, you, you've heard us say that to encourage means literally to take courage and put it in someone, to pour courage into another person. That's what encouragement is doing, is taking a person who's weak and empty and then pouring courage into their lives it's not just about making them feel good or about being happy or oh you know what i love you Oh, i love you too thank you thank you you know what i feel so encouraged now really what a lot of times what we think of as encouragement is is just a compliment or it's making us making us feel better i don't know if you ever remember watching the old popeye cartoons popeye was a sailor man he always uh, smoked his pipe and he had a big big bulging arms and, and forearms but he only had one eye. The legend says that he was in a fight and his eye got popped out, and so he's Popeye. He walks around winking, but that's Popeye. His love interest in the Popeye cartoons was this girl named Olive Oy. She was a skinny, stick of a little thing, and he was in love with her. Problem was, he wasn't the only one in love with her. There's another guy named Bluto who was in love. Have you ever been to Island Venture? It's Bluto's uh, bilge raft ride, or whatever it is, that circular thing. And Popeye's trying to rescue olive oil from, from Bluto, and at the end he does. But Bluto is huge. He's like a Bill and um, just massive. And so Popeye is always wanting to get with olive oil, but so is Bluto. And Bluto is bigger than him, and so he threatens him and he beats him up. And Popeye doesn't stand a chance until, you know that the, you know the show never ends with Bluto winning because it's called Popeye. And so Popeye would get a can of spinach. And then the Papa, the sailor man song would come on and he would squeeze the can of spinach. The pop would top off and then liquid spinach. And he's like, ah, he's eating it. Now all of a sudden he's like, bam, he's like diesel, like big as bill. And then he starts beating up uh, Bluto and then he wins the girl and he saves the day and he becomes this great hero. Have you ever wished that there was such thing as spiritual spinach? Like when you felt like I... I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't have the strength to go on. I am facing these giants in my life that are way too big. I'm so depressed that I don't even want to get out of bed. I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy to face the challenges of the day. I know that when I go to work today that there's going to be this evil monster dragon boss and they're going to be breathing fire down. I don't even want, I don't want to call in sick. Do you ever wish that you could take spinach and pour it in and all of a sudden you go from being this wimpy, geeky, scared person to being this person filled with courage, able to fight the Goliath of your day? Do you wish that there was something like that? The writer of Hebrews says there is, and it's called the community of saints. That when you get together with fellow believers, they take courage, they take strength, and they pour that into your soul so that you are able to fight and to face the challenges and to overcome the trials and the struggles and the temptations of the day. And we need each other for that. If, if you see it the other way, like I don't have people like that in my life, then you're just one weak vessel prone to wander, prone to falling, prone to temptation, prone to addiction, fighting against these, these giants, and every time you go in, some days you might stand a fighting chance, but after a week, after two weeks, you get beat up and you die and you fall back into this place of you know, of defeat. But if you've got people pouring strength into your life, pouring courage into your life, you say, you know what, together we can do this. We can face this. We can fight this together. As we come together, as one pours courage and pours strength into one another, this is why we need each other. This is, man, this. For this detox, that's what we're just saying. For six weeks, let's do this together and see what kind of a difference it makes in your life. If you're struggling with addictions to, uh, to alcohol, if you're struggling with addiction to approval, if you're struggling with addictions to, to, to lust, if you're struggling with addictions to, to anger, whatever it is, just to, to get with people over a period of six weeks and say, let's see what happens in our lives. To see if God doesn't work through the community to encourage, to pour courage into one another's life. To see if we don't come out stronger and more victorious on the other end. See, a lot of times what happens in these accountability relationships is when we think of this idea of encouragement, we think about we get together. And we, we, we suffer, we're sorrowful, we cry together. We think that's what it is. If you uh, look at the same word for encourage in John chapter 16 when Jesus talks about it, it's the same word pa, uh, parakaleo, right? to walk alongside of poor courage to call forth into. It's the same word used of the Holy Spirit. In that same context in John 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Here's what that means. Where sin deceives, right? encouragement speaks truth. Where sin deceives us, encouragement exposes the truth within us, not just the truth about ourselves, which we can all do, but the truth about the victory that we have in Christ. Because you've been in these situations before, haven't you? These accountability sessions, so to speak, where you talk and you share struggles with each other. And you say, you know what? A lot of times this is what it looks like. Um, two guys come together and they say, whatever the sin is, uh, sin of X. And you know what? How'd you do with X this week? Uh, I didn't do too well. I messed up, and I feel really guilty. I feel really ashamed. I feel really defeated. The other guy just looks at them, nods their head, in sympathetic understanding, awkward silence. So the first guy, so the guy who's struggled and messed up says, uh, well, what about you? The other guy's like, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I really, um, I, I blew it also. Yeah, I just, um, Kind of feel like you. Yeah, I feel, I feel messed up. I feel pretty defeated, and uh, yeah, and they're like, "All right, hey, love you, man. Love you too." And they hug. All right, let's go. That's it. Very honest about them. this is something that someone has said that the older generation is very has a very difficult time being honest about ourselves. The younger generation is painfully honest, but that's that's all it is. Just kind of stops there. So it's like, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We sin this week. Yeah, we, we stink. We sin together. That's all it is. But in these relationships, especially uh, Tully and Tavidian he pastors a church down in, in Coral Ridge, um, wrote a great book called Jesus Plus Nothing. He goes, everything, you should read it if you get a chance. He wrote another book called Glorious Ruin. And in that book, he says, you know what? In a lot of these accountability relationships, we're so sin-focused or self-focused that it's all about that sin okay, let's have this accountability group and let's talk about our addiction to lust, okay, to pornography. And as we talk about it together, the the first question is, okay, so how were you? Did you go to any bad sites this week? Uh, Yeah, I did. No, I didn't. And so what that fosters as we're focused on this sin is it it fosters a sense of either guilt if we messed up, of self-righteousness if we did it right, or of deceit if we don't want to admit to one or the other. We're so focused on sin, then a lot of times what happens is we become spiritually weaker because we're focused on that behavior and on that sin and on ourselves and how well we've done. But what Chavijan says is we need to focus not on these things, but to focus on the conquest of Christ over those things and over the blessings and the power that flow from the finished work of Christ on the cross that we are victorious in Christ, whether we failed or not, to turn our eyes away from ourselves and away from our sin and upwards onto the Savior, and therein we find the strength and therein we find the resources to make it not about this gripe session about ourselves, we're so focused about this and becoming introspective to the point where spiritual strength is sapped, but it lifts our gaze upwards to see the glory of the conquering one, the victorious one, the one in whose victory we stand, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, there is therefore now no condemnation. That's where we need to move to. To speak the truth, not only about ourselves, but to pour strength where strength is not by speaking truth of the gospel. Not by saying, hey, you can do better, or we will do this better together, even though that's important, but by saying, hey, it's by lifting our eyes upwards to see the power of the gospel that is at work in you and the power of the Holy Spirit who's able to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. We need others not only to help us see the truth about ourselves, but to give us the strength that we don't have in our own hearts. And Then lastly, the last thing that it says in verse 13, the last thing, we need others daily starting today. Last week, Olivia was finally introduced into the wacky, weird world of smartphones. I... Um, gave her my iphone 4 which she's very excited about um, because it was my old phone it had a lot of my old stuff on it, it had all of my emails all of my text messages um, all of my pictures all of my account passwords all of that which she knows all that stuff anyways so i was trying to get rid of some of this stuff to make it her own phone leave some of the stuff some of the contacts and some of the pictures and things like that and, and just changing out some of the stuff and she had a birthday party earlier this week and um, celebrated with uh, 15 girls who love her and who she she loves, and and afterwards, the morning after, she had this picture and she was putting it up on Facebook, and she wrote underneath the picture as 15 women sitting uh, in these rows, and she said, um, "So thankful for each of these beautiful women in my life." And she put it up. The problem was she put it up from my phone, which had my Facebook account. <laughs> So she comes running to me. She's like, sweetheart, sweetheart, you need to go and delete the picture that I posted on Facebook. I went to my account, (laughs) David, Larry, Kim, 15 women. I'm so thankful for each of these beautiful women in my life. Oh, wow. If you saw that, I'm, I'm so glad that many of you guys are fasting Facebook so that you didn't see it. But if you did... I would hope that you would love me enough to call me out on that. But quickly, I deleted that. And I was looking at that picture from Olive's perspective. That, you know, these are people that, as she celebrates the years of God's faithfulness in her life, that she recognizes that she's not who she is apart from this community of sisters who walk with her, who love her, who embrace her, who speak into her life. I thought, how much more painful would life be if we didn't have people walking together with you know that's a picture of hell at the end of the day you know people say you know what if um none of my my friends who drink beer and and chase after the things of this if none of them are going to be in heaven i'd rather be in hell with them but (laughs) it's the wrong idea what hell is hell is isolation like you might see those people they be so far away from you that they can't hear you you can't see them you can't uh, commiserate together And a picture of the Bible is that we need each other to do life. And we are deeply, desperately communal people. We need each other. But it's not just we need each other. Look at what it says. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. This is how deceptive the nature of sin is. That you can't just come to church every Sunday and find courage for the day, for the week, and then go on throughout the week. It's partly why we have Wednesday night prayer meetings, so that in the middle of the week you can refuel, you can pray, you can intercede, and then you can make it throughout the rest of the week. But he's not only saying twi- uh, twice a week. We- so we have house churches, we have youth meetings on Saturday nights, but he's saying that's not enough. Says the nature of sin is so deceptive that we need to encourage one another daily so that we don't get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is how deeply deceitful sin is in our lives. It tricks us into thinking that we're okay and that we don't need help, that we don't need other people, that we don't need the gospel, that we don't need the word of God. The Word of God tells us that we need people. Right, so deeply, desperately in need of people to help us in this journey of faith and to do that daily, to do that consistently. And this is, I, I, I mean, I've read this passage before, but this is new to me in terms of understanding, as Paul David Tripp exposes this and as he writes about this, to see how deep. And how just uh, masking and disguising the nature of sin is to make us think that we just, you know, it's okay. You don't need it every day. You don't need the, You don't need accountability. You don't need fellowship daily. But he's saying this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. It's so uh, deeply necessary that he's calling us to a daily kind of commitment. This is hard. But I think on the flip side, he's just saying this is how this is the insidious nature of our sin in our lives, and how blinded we can be. And in order for the community to work, there has to be a willingness to be honest with ourselves about it. When I was in college, and, and soon after I, I, I graduated college, I was meeting with a group of guys, and we would ask each other seven questions that came from a promise keeper, seven questions of a promise keeper. There would be questions like, um, "Have you um, put yourself in compromising positions with someone of the opposite gender?" Have any of your uh, financial dealings lacked integrity? Have you exposed yourself to any kind of uh, sexually explicit material? Have you spent adequate time with God in the word and prayer? Have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? Have you um, prioritized your family? Have you just lied to me? Questions that we just go through, we'd ask each other these questions. And obviously it only works if we're honest with each other. That's why that last question says, have you just lied to me? But think about this, you know, as we, as we consider what it is that we're detoxing from, a lot of times we don't know each other as well as the people who know us the best. And some of y'all said, you know what, I don't know what I'm going to detox. I don't know what I'm going to give up. I don't think there's anything in my life that, that really stands out. Ask your, um, ask your parents or ask your kids or ask your spouse or ask your best friend, hey, what are the things that you've seen in my life? Ask your house church members. What are the things that you've seen in my life that keep me from loving Christ fully? What are the things in my life that you see me wasting time on? What are the idols of my heart that I'm constantly talking about that rob my heart of the affection that should be given more and more and more towards Jesus that, that, that takes me away from these things? What are the things in my life that if you were me and you really wanted to seriously fight for the life of Christ me, what are the things that you would wish somebody would tell me to give up? What are the questions that, as you ask yourself this, what question are you afraid of somebody asking you? And to think about questions like that. If you go to a doctor and they do a heart exam on you, it does them no good, it does you no good, if you're not honest with them now your x-rays could come out fine but if you don't tell them that uh, you've been under a lot of stress if you've been having this wheezing persistent cough if you've been feeling dizzy if you have fainted 10 times in the past month you don't tell these kinds of things and you can't get the help that you need but unless we're honest with ourselves we're honest with god and we're honest with each other to the point of being vulnerable to the point of being honest to the point of being uncomfortable then it's probably not going to help us to get to a place of health spiritually. I was listening to this uh, TED Talk by a, a gal named Brene Brown. It was uh, recommended to me about vulnerability. And um, she was doing this talk for 500 people. And she said, how many of you guys feel like vulnerability is weakness? And everyone raised, probably, pretty much everyone raised their hand. Isn't that what we think? Vulnerability, like to admit our weakness, to say, you know what, um, I, I have committed sins. I've, been, you know, I've had these thoughts. I've, I'm not as strong as I think I am. I've messed up in these ways. We think that's weakness. And then she said, how many of you guys, as you've been listening to different people talk, when you heard someone being vulnerable, you looked at them and you said, you know what? They're really courageous. And everybody raised their hand. And she went on to say, vulnerability, to talk about the truth of who you are, is not weakness, that's strength. And it takes courage to do that. And as we bring that into the context of what we're talking about here, how can we be vulnerable with each other? How can we be just completely, no holds barred, honest with one another about the things that go on inside of our hearts, about the things that we think, about the things that we daydream about, the things that we fantasize at night when we put our head down to sleep. How can we be completely honest about those things? I think the Bible proposes that we can only do that when we look at the cross of Christ. Where do we find the strength to become vulnerable? It's at the cross where we look at the cross and we realize that, you know what, you think you're pretty bad, but the cross tells us a clearer picture that you are a whole lot worse than you could ever imagine yourself to be. You are a whole lot more sinful, a whole lot more flawed, a whole lot more guilty, a whole lot more shameful of sin than you ever imagined your heart could be. You know what? At the cross, if everything was played out, that this is how sinful we are, that the Holy Son of God had to be brutally murdered for our sin, it shows us that we're not just pretty bad people. We are the most awful and basest and lowest and degraded of criminals. At the cross, we see ourselves for who we really are. We're not just pretty bad. But at the cross, we realize that we are far, infinitely more worse than we could ever imagine. And yet at the cross, in the shame of Jesus Christ and in the utter abandonment and rejection of the sin that was laid upon him, we find in the gospel an acceptance, a, an acceptance far greater than anything that this world could ever give to us we find an acceptance that tells us we're not accepted because we're acceptable. In fact, we're accepted because we realize the only thing acceptable about us is that I recognize that I'm not acceptable and I've thrown myself upon the mercy of the cross and I realize that the only reason I can be accepted by Him or by anybody else is because my acceptance has been won by Jesus Christ that he took all of my filth and all of my unworthiness and he took that upon himself so that I could be considered worthy, so that I could be considered acceptable. And the only way I become a Christian is by recognizing that I don't have anything to offer to him. And the only hope I have is in throwing myself upon the mercy and the grace and the acceptance of Jesus Christ. That's all I have to boast about. That's all I have to cling to. And as believers and followers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the one thing that unites us more than anything else. It is a joint understanding, a united witness, a united understanding that we both have nothing good to offer. But the only thing that brings us into relationship is the fact that we've blown it and we have nothing to give. That there's nothing good in me. We already know that about ourselves because the cross tells us that. And if we can understand that we can come to one another and say, hey, you know what? I know that's the truth about you. I know that's the truth about me. Let's be real and let's be honest. Let's talk about how we can find in each other the strength to carry on. Show me the mirror of God's word. Speak into my heart so that I can run to the gospel. I can run to the cross and find strength to overcome. Let's pray together. The only way that we can find the courage that we need to genuinely and truly be vulnerable and to be honest is if we stare at the cross of Christ the first time realizing my sin was so awful that he had to die. But looking at it a second time seeing that His love was so great that he was glad to die. In his death, he won my acceptance so that I would never be thrown away. And as we gaze upon the cross and realize the grace therein, that's the only way that we can give grace to sinful people who recognize their need as well. Let's take some time to... Be honest and to be okay. Let's take a good hard look inside of our hearts and to see the sin that resides within us. Let's confess that to the Lord. God, it begins with me confessing it to you. It does me no good to hold on to these things that you already know and you already see. But as I talk about them to you and as I give these things up to you, my fellowship with you becomes restored, that there can be honesty and deceit is removed. I can pursue the softening of my heart again. So let's start in that place. Lord, I need you. Jesus, give me the strength to be honest with you about the truth of who I am. Let's spend a moment right now just going to the Lord in prayer, confessing anything that we have to confess as we prepare to come to the Lord's table to meditate and to gaze upon the cross again. Spend some time doing that as we confess We surrender our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Let the Lord God, His Holy Spirit, do some surgery within us. Sometimes this is how it is for me. It's easy to come to the table and not be as moved in my heart as I know I need to be. The reason is because, as the ancient reformers said, if we see ourselves as just a little sinner, a little bit of sin in me then Jesus will just be a little savior to us a little gospel a little sacrifice but if we know and see ourselves for who we really are I'm a big sinner a big sinner requires a big savior and a big gospel and it becomes wonderful to us again let's just pray Holy Spirit the spirit of repentance, convict me of my sin so that I might be led into repentance. I might be led into confession. Let's spend a few more minutes just praying to the Lord God, searching our hearts, allowing Him to do His work in us. There's no uh, sense of needing to maintain propriety. You can sit on the floor, you can kneel on the ground if you need to do that. Let's just be honest for a few moments with the Lord as we confess the sins that cling to our heart, the sins, the thoughts, the motives, the desires, the anger, the words deceive us into thinking that we're okay. Continue in a moment of confession. seconds to a minute. Let's just pray. Lord, uh, help me to commit now to getting into an accountability relationship over detox, someone that I can share with and pray with, I can speak into their lives and they into mine. If there's someone in mind right now, let's pray for them and pray for your relationship with him or her. If it's your spouse, let's pray for that. If it's uh, a friend, Let's pray for them. If you don't know yet, let's pray to the Lord. God, uh, bring someone into my mind's eyes. So I could talk to them. I could see my need for help. I can see my need for others to walk with me in this life. Let's pray for half a minute for a relationship in our lives with whom we can walk through these next uh, few weeks together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the life that you've given to us. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel. As others look at Christianity as the religion, as a worldview, as a way of life, we thank you that it is so utterly inclusive that the worst of sinners could be brought in. The only thing that we have to recognize is the unworthiness of our acceptance into this community, into this family something that we can all readily admit to, and then to recognize that the only basis for boast, for acceptance, for celebrating, is the work of another. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done that for us. And as we come to the table of grace, remind us that this was done for us. That you invite all who are uh, unworthy, all who are needy, all who are sinful, to take and eat because we are so needy. And as we partake of the elements, remind us of the beauty and the power of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray all these days.